it's typical to ask a question <clears throat> whenever you uh, meet someone. The question is, how are you? How are you? I don't know how to say this in Dutch. I don't know how to say anything in Dutch. But uh, I don't think there's a culture in the world where this is not the custom. When you meet someone, you greet them, and you ask them, how are you? Uh, typically, if I come into the church office during the week and I ask Greta this question, how are you? Sometimes I say it in Papimento, you know, just for practice. And she has a common answer to this question. She doesn't always say it, but she can be counted on. The answer to the question is, I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. That is quite a declaration, isn't it? I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Now, on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, I get here very early. During the week, I don't, I'm sleeping when I during that hour, but... Uh, and Sunday I get here very early and I've got things to do and I get very focused. You might have even noticed this because I get very focused. And if you try to talk to me, you're going to bother me. I shouldn't even tell you that, but that's how I get. So one Sunday I was working on something. I was in the kitchen, and I'm working, and I'm very focused. And Greta was there, and she said to me, Are you happy? And my answer was, No, I'm not happy. That's a good question. Are you happy? Are you happy? How are you? You know, probably this week, maybe even this morning, some things have gone in a way and you would have preferred that they had gone in another way, a different way. And some of us, I'm sure, are very easy going about this and things you know happen and we just sort of let it go by and we keep going and some of us get uh, disturbed and grouchy when things don't go our way or just when we're like too busy and we don't want to be bothered how are you my guess is this week you've had some troubles, some difficulties, some little thing, or maybe a big thing. Big thing. 
So how are you? Well, the scripture we're going to look at this morning gives this answer. You are blessed and highly favored of the Lord if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are blessed and favored unreasonably by God. You are favored by God in a way that there is no argument for. In fact, if we ask the question, what should God do? He should not favor you so highly. And yet, he has in Christ. This morning, we're starting into a study of the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. At least that's the label, although we think this letter was written by Paul to the Ephesian church with the intention that the letter would be circulated in a in the church broadly. And of course, that was God's intention as we find the letter to the Ephesians in the scripture. So it was written most broadly to the church. And it has the church in mind. In fact, if you ask the question, what book of the New Testament gives us the theology of church? The answer is Ephesians. Now, we tend to individualize all of Scripture, and this is no exception. We tend to think that the Bible was written to me. Well, here's a little secret. Paul never heard of me. At least not until centuries later. He did not have me in mind when he wrote the book of Ephesians. Except to the extent that I am a member of the body of Christ, in which case I am to be found in the book of Ephesians. That's where, as a member of the body of Christ. The book is about the church. Now, we tend to individualize it, and so we take everything it says and think it's about the individual Christian life, but really, it's about the Christian life of the body of Christ, which is a Christian life. The book speaks of one new man created in Christ. And it does so repeatedly. In fact, I've chosen that expression, one new man, as the title of this whole study. Because it is about the work of the cross making a community of individuals that is one new man, the body of Christ. The representation of Christ in this world 
we also tend to individualize that. I bear responsibility for my Christ-likeness and I say stuff like, I might be the only Christ anyone gets to see. As though the representation of Christ could be carried out in its fullness in one person. Me, or you, or you, or whoever. In fact, the scripture teaches the representation of Christ, the body, the visible presence of Jesus, the Christ, the eternal Son, the Savior, that representation is not individual. It is in the one new man. Not a bunch of new men, but one new man. The body of Christ, the community of Christ. If we think of the body of Christ as a body, then it's easy to see this. And I've given this illustration before. If somehow, through really bad luck on my part, someone was walking down the street out here and they found my finger laying up by the side of the road. Ouch. But let's imagine they found my finger. Well, you could, the first question might be, well, whose finger is that? Well, you could figure that out. You could figure that out before you ever knew I was missing a finger. We could figure it out. We could take the fingerprint of that finger and we'd know it was mine and it's only mine and couldn't be anyone else's. It is, as a finger goes, absolutely Doug-like. There's nothing about my finger that can't be identified as me. It has my DNA. It's totally Doug-like. But no matter how long you get to know my finger, no matter how carefully you study it, no matter how many times you take its fingerprint, you won't be getting to know me. The body is a body, and it takes the whole body to know Christ, to see Christ truly reflected. And each one of us has a function in that, and the functions are not all the same. And so I could get to know you, and you should do your best to be a Jesus-identified person to reflect as truly as possible the love that God has showered on you. You should reflect that into the world so people will want to know what makes you so crazy and you will be able to say the love of Jesus Christ. And you should be as Christ-like as possible. You should try to fully represent him as fully as you can, but you will need some help. And you will need the rest of us to be a full representation. This is a thing we do together. Now, in the modern age, we're not into things we do together. We're into what can I do and what can he do and what can she do. But this 
is one new man. And so the mature, our maturity in Christ is not just your maturity and my maturity. It's not you and me. It's we. It's we. Always. Always. So I just wanted to start with this sort of general presentation of the message of the book of Ephesians. What are we doing here? What is the church? What is the church and what is a church? And what we're going to see when we look through the book of Ephesians, I've made a list here for you. There are six chapters and there are six things. <clears throat> the first chapter ends <clears throat> with this statement about Jesus. Well, God, with reference to Jesus, he, God the Father, put all things in subjection under his, God the Son's, feet and gave him as head over all things to who? It's Ephesians 1.22. Gave him as head over all things to who did God give the Son to? The church. Now we read that very sentence and we want to say me. He gave the Son to me. Well, I'm in the church. So, in that sense, yes. He gave the Son, gave the Son as head over all things to the church, which is His body. Now, get this. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Do you realize that the church is called the fullness of Christ in the Word of God? The fullness of God. Fullness is a very important concept in the book of Ephesians. It's going to be repeated multiple times. But fullness, that is total occupation. If I kept pouring water into this cup until water was spilling over, then it's full. The fullness of God is the body of Jesus Christ, the church. Now that is something to get your mind around. Really? That's the fullness of God. We're going to have to figure that out. So in chapter 1, we're going to talk about the fullness, and we're going to start this morning if I get to it. Uh, but in this, in this session, and it's going to take a few, more than one, we'll review the blessings, the blessings that have unfolded to us out of the eternal plan of God. This text of Scripture says that God has blessed us with a good number of spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That is not what it says. It doesn't say a good number. It doesn't even say a lot. It doesn't even say a wealth. It says all. 
That's the fullness. And we're going to, then it gives a big long list of what these blessings are. The spiritual blessings, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, the fullness. Then in chapter 2, we're going to read about the making. And we're going to learn how the Lord Jesus Christ created one new man by the blood of his cross. In chapter 2, we read, You were dead. You were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together in Christ. And then we'll read in the second part of chapter 2 how we were alienated strangers separated from God, having no standing in before God. And what the, by the work of his cross, he has reconciled us to make us, even though we don't get along, to make us one. And then he has taken the one new man and reconciled us together to God by the blood of his cross. It's like Paul says in the book of Ephesians, God only made one Christian. And he made the one Christian out of all of us Christians. That we were reconciled to each other first. And then together reconciled to God. Stunning. The making of the one new man through resurrection and reconciliation. Then in chapter 3, we read about the dwelling. Paul prays. It's really the second half of chapter 3. He prays for the church. What does he pray? that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. That's what He prays. But that strengthening with power through His Spirit in the inner man has a purpose. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ? Paul prays for the dwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ so that we could maybe comprehend the love of Christ, which, by the way, he says, surpasses knowledge. So that we might come to grip, to grasp, to to somehow fathom the magnitude of His love in Christ. Which is beyond us. It's so great. No matter how long we grasp the love of Christ, we will not fully grasp it. I believe we will spend eternity exploring the greatness of the love of Christ and never finishing 
And every day, if we have something we can call days in the eternal, every day we will get up and go, Ah, oh, I never saw that. And now I see that. Now I see something a little bit more, the magnificence of his love. And so Paul prays that that might be the reality for us even now. That the task upon which we are embarked is to comprehend the love of God in Christ and by the power of the Spirit who dwells in us. If you want to ask what the Spirit of God is up to in the church, this is the answer. He is up to helping us to somehow be strong enough to handle the love of God in Christ. That's the dwelling. Then in chapter 4, we're going to run into this, the biology of the body. Paul starts by saying, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he says... <laughs> being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What, how does a Christian walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Watching after our togetherness. We tend to preach this as though it means because you're saved, you should act morally. Well, yes. But remember, the sum of the law of God is love. It's about fellowship. It's about how we are together to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we love the other people in the body? And then, of course, he goes on to talk about how the body functions and different parts have different parts. Surprise. Well, that's how bodies are. That's how the body of Christ is. You don't have my part. I don't have yours. If God brings someone into our fellowship, it's because God is bringing a collection of gifts, skills, talents, abilities, interests, personality, character that we need. And that we might benefit. Well, and this implies a responsibility up on each of us to function in our function in the body. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. And so, the scripture says, we discover how the parts of the body function together to produce the growth. Again, we tend to individualize this. How will you grow as a Christian? Well, you'll become part of the church, and the church is there to help you grow as a Christian. You know, that's exactly upside down. The scripture says you're here so that the church will grow into one new man really reflects the nature of Christ. 
you're here for the Christianity of the one Christian. And so we grow as a body, not just each one of us. Now, of course, if we're growing as a body, I'm growing and you're growing. Well, this is one way the body grows is each of the parts is stronger in its part. But we also grow in the connection in, well, just how connected are we? And does my serving in my part help you function in yours? That's part of it too. And of course, we also grow in size, like anybody. So more people see Christ in the face of the body of Christ and join in. And so that's mostly chapter four. We look at how the body functions. One of the key elements of that is speaking the truth in love. Well, that's got to be connected to this prayer that you would somehow learn about the love of Christ. And now we speak the truth, the word of God in love in order to benefit another And then in chapter 5, we start looking about the, the new life. And now the book does kind of get individualized. <clears throat> because it reviews how our unity in the body plays out in our individual roles. So it speaks to husbands and wives and children and parents. But before it gets into that, it also gets into, well, if you're one with this group of people, how should you act? And when it exhorts husbands to love their wives, it says something like, like you love your own body, like you take care, you take care of yourself, you take care. Oh, so we are, when I, it actually says when, you take care of your wife, you are taking care of yourself because you're one. And so the husband and wife relationship is a picture of the body of Christ and a picture of the relationship to that, of that body of Christ to Christ himself, which, by the way, is also pictured in the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in the Holy Trinity. The uh, It's just like a flower opening up. And so your marriage is a much bigger deal than you think it is. And the church is a much bigger deal than we think it is. And finally, in chapter 6, we learn about the strength to stand. He says, stand firm in the Lord, in the strength of His might. So, that's the shorthand summary of the message of the book of Ephesians. I think it's fitting <coughs> that this message begins with an exposition of just 
what a blessing it is to be the body of Christ. The fullness of God in this world. The scripture, the, the book begins with this sentence. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There's a similar statement in Psalm 84. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly or walk in righteousness. No good thing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, if God freely gave us his only son, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, uh, I got to I got to look at this one or I'll misquote it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness these are these statements are too absolute they're too comprehensive Every spiritual blessing, all good things, all things, everything pertaining to life and godliness. In James, James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above and proceeds down from the Father of lights in whom there is not one shadow of change. This is good news. How are you? Well, the answer of the book of Ephesians is, in Christ... You are comprehensively blessed. Every spiritual gift, every spiritual blessing in heaven. 
in Christ. Now, you were in Adam, and if you've trusted in Christ, now you are in Christ. And if you looked at Romans chapter 5, you would see that in Adam, we're all dead, and in Christ, we're made alive. This is repeated in, in Ephesians chapter 2. God, being rich in mercy, made us alive again together with Christ. And if you read this, if you go on into Romans chapter 6, you'll read that in Christ, that in Christ we died. And this is what delivered us from the dominion of sin. So that our sin is actually and effectively dealt with in the death of Christ because in Christ, we were united to Christ in his death. I wasn't even alive then, but I was united to Christ in his death. And so, in his resurrection. So now I have the opportunity to walk in newness of life, we read in Romans 6. In him, in him, in him. This is a very important expression in the book of Ephesians. Well, in Scripture in general, in the New Testament especially, and especially in the book of Ephesians. I have a recommendation for you. Every day, you should get up and read the first chapter of Ephesians. So that you remember who on earth you are in Him. And the main thing to remember is that you are, in fact, in Him. The eternal one, the son of God in him. Every spiritual blessing. Well, what follows from this then is kind of a list of these blessings. You could ask, so how long have you been in him? Well, one answer to that question and a correct one. One correct answer to that question is, since the day you heard the gospel and believed. But here's another one. Another answer to that question. How long? Sorry, i got to go back to Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him when? When? Before the foundation of the world. So, in the vision of God, you are in Christ before he lays the first brick of the universe. He chose us before the foundation. And, well, when you look at this, also we need to ask the question, he chose us for what? For what did he choose us? 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would what? Be holy and blameless before him. That we would be holy and blameless before him. To be holy is to be set apart for some purpose, to be designated, if you will, for some particular thing. And of course, in the context of the Bible, to be holy is to be designated for God. And so what God chose us for before the foundation of the world was to be long only to him. To be always only exclusively his. God's own possession, it's called. What is God's own possession? The body of Christ is God's own possession. And he determined this in the eternal plan. I will lay my claim on these people, these creatures of mine. Well, then it's not just holy, but also blameless. Blameless. That is the word you would use if you were talking about a suitable lamb for sacrifice in the Old Testament. No marks, no blemishes, no issues, no sickness, no problems. In some way or another, perfect. And so God has chosen us that we should be holy and without defect in his presence before him. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a destiny yet to be fully realized. But that is his declared purpose. From the very, well, I was going to say from the very beginning, but it's before the beginning that he actually established his purpose. If there can be a before the beginning, this was before it. This is the blessing from which all these other blessings unfold. God made up their mind. God agreed. God determined. We call this the eternal decree. God decreed. God decided. God determined. God chose to do exactly this. To make one new man from the alienated sinners. Now, next time, we're going to stop there, but next time, we're going to go on. And you can see the outline.
You can see what he did, how he blesses us. And there's a, there's a really interesting expression kind of in the middle of this. Um, it says in verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him that is in Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. In other words, this is how it's going to play out. This is how we're going to, the work we're going to accomplish. This is the purpose of all these things. This is, includes the purpose of Him revealing to each of us and to us together the, that this is His purpose, His will. Here it is. The summing up of all things in Christ. The summing up of all things in Christ. Christ is not just the creator. He's the conclusion. We read this in, in Hebrews, right? He's the one through whom God made the world. He's the inheritor of all things. And he's the one that carries it from there to there. He sustains all things by the word of his power. And so we in him are blessed and favored, highly favored of the Lord. These things we will notice are not earned. In fact, we'll read this expression, all of these things are given to the praise of the glory of His grace. What is God doing in this? He is glorifying His grace. His unmerited favor lavished on us. He didn't find anything about us that required this. It was determined according to His own kind intention. We read this several times in this very chapter. And so, what's for us? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the whole story. And so, what do, how do you respond to this? You take part, you join in, you celebrate together. We love His love. And so, we want His love to be visible in us. And so, we love one another. And so, we grow to be one new man in Him. Now, I'm going to have to stop. Our time is up. Come back next time. We're going to keep proceeding through this amazing list. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Father, we do give you thanks.
Your goodness to us is beyond our comprehension. Lord, help us to love your love. To rest ourselves in it, to operate from it, to understand it, to try it, to show it, to share it. And Lord, especially among ourselves, to exhibit this sin-crushing, death-crushing love. Because we have received it. Because you determined long ago that we should have it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.